Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is the Reading Women podcast, where we are reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books by or about women. And this is episode 27, where we are talking about women in translation for Women in Translation Month. And we finally got it right this year. Yes. Ah. <laughs> Last year, we did it in November, but uh, we're on the right train this time. I love translated books so much. Yeah, they are so interesting and so different. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that a little bit on something else. But yeah, I I feel like whenever I start a book in translation, there's a moment where I'm like, ugh, I'm not sure if I like this. But then once I get into the rhythm of it, oh man, some of my favorite books are translated books. It's sort of like when you read Shakespeare and you kind of have to adjust to the language. But once you adjust to it, it's wonderful. Yes, and yes, by the way, listeners, it is hailing outside my window, so we have ambiance sound for you today. Mood sounds. Mood sounds. Just relax and listen to the sultry sound of our voices. It is not raining here for once, so... <laughs> we got it. You send it up to me. Anytime, Kendra. So before we talk about women translation, though, we have some news, and the most important news of the day is... The Man Booker Long List came out. Hallelujah! Yes, it, I, <laughs> I stayed up with all the people in Britain who were staying up till twelve. It was seven o'clock my time, <laughs> and so I was like, "Oh wow, this is convenient." And so it came out, and uh, it's thir- it's a baker's dozen, so it's thirteen books. Uh, it has to be real a, a singular novel. It can't be short stories, um, and then it has to be. Orig- Originally published in English. There we go, because they have a separate prize for translated books. I thought the list was really good. A lot of the titles I think I probably expected, but then there were always there were titles too that I'd not seen before. Yeah, and I would describe it as unexpectedly diverse. Yes. They struggle a lot of the time, you know? So the fact that I was like, you know, counting it up that what was it, five or six women? Yes. On there, mm-hmm. five, six people of color. Like, So there are like three or four Americans on the list, but then UK, obviously. Yeah, um, and George Saunders obviously was nominated for Lincoln Bardo. I haven't listened to that yet, but it's on, it's on my computer. Um, I was happy to see Autumn by Allie Smith. And let's talk about Swing Time. <laughs> well, that's the one that I imagine you'd be really excited for. Yeah, I mean, and... So Zadie Smith, of course, is one of my favorites, and she has two books coming out next year. One is a short story collection or essay collection. I don't exactly remember, so you'll have to forgive me. But And then the second book is a novel, and it is a historical fiction novel set in the 1900s. Swing Time was her first book written in the first person. It's not my favorite of all her books that I've read, but it's still really good. And one thing that I greatly admire about Zadie Smith is her ability to write so many different types of books. That's true. She doesn't just write the same book over and over. No, she's extremely versatile. And she, like, I read an interview about Swing Time, and she basically said, well, I just wanted to try it because I'd never done it before, which is commendable and amazing. And so... If you're Zadie Smith, you can do that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, yeah, so that was not a surprise to see that on there. Um, you mentioned Autumn by Ali Smith. Um, the Ministry of Utmost Happiness, I was not surprised to see on that list either, or X West. And then the short list will come out on September 13th, and then they will announce the winner on October 17th. So October will be here before you know it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll do when the short list, after the short list comes out, we'll do some predictions for you. But right now, it's really anyone's game. 
Okay, so I think it's about time we get into what we're here for, uh, which is to talk about books and translation. Kendra, you have the first pick this month. Yes, and I am incredibly, incredibly excited to talk about this pick, which is Human Acts by Hong Kang, and this is translated by Deborah Smith. And in the U.S., this is out from Hogarth. Uh, this book is fantastic, but you might recognize the name because Hong Kang won the very first Man Booker International Award, where they recognize both the translator and the author equally. So Hong Kang and Deborah Smith won the award for The Vegetarian, and I read that book last year, and I think I talked about it in our Women in Translation Month. You did. I believe you did talk about it. It is absolutely wonderful. So I wasn't sure, like, I was really nervous reading Human Acts because I wasn't sure what it would be like comparatively. Like, you have such high expectations. Um, Vegetarian is really short, and so is Human Acts. Human Acts is, like, connected uh, short stories or viewpoints, and basically it's viewing the same topic, which is that of human acts, what makes us human, and how that affects our soul, and what is a soul. Um, if human beings have souls, then what does that look like? Uh, you have this uprising um, in South Korea in 1980, and so it's this more, um, the city outside, it's not in Seoul, it's in a smaller city, and there's this uprising of students, and there was a large massacre there where a lot of students were shot down for upheaval. So the first section starts out with this boy who is helping in the morgue, and he's in, I think, like junior high, middle, like it. their, their names for their you know, grades are different, but I think it's somewhere around there. And he's helping with all the dead bodies and helping people identify um, their students and their children, basically. Um, so Deborah Smith has a translator's note here, and she points out that uh, this book deals with somatic integrity. The violence done to the body is a violation of the spirit or soul that animates it, which was a really interesting concept because some of these students are taken prisoner and taken and uh, tortured, both men and women. And you can see the long-lasting effects of that on their lives and that their very souls are affected by that. And it was just so well done. And I didn't actually pick up on that. And so I was going through and annotating, and I was like, man, there's a lot of like soul imagery, body imagery, different things like that. And I went back and read the intro again, and I was like, oh, okay. I'm not like totally clueless, but oh my goodness. It sounds amazing. And I we almost picked this one as one of our discussion books, but I desperately need to read her, like desperately. Yeah, it. she is definitely one of my favorite books. Like I really love Elena Ferrante, but I would say I just about love Hong Kang just as much, almost. I will say that this book has all of the trigger warnings. So, like, this is the one particular scene I'm thinking of, but it's not, like, throughout the entire book. But there is a lot of death and violence, obviously, because it's an uprising and people are being shot and stuff. You know, just go into it with your eyes open, because it is about war, but it is very meaningful, and there's such poetic language, and I can't believe that this book is translated. Um, it is just so good. I think it's great that the translators are getting recognition because I was reading, well, one of the other books that we're talking about and the author said that she kind of views her, she, this, this particular author views her translated work as another incarnation of her work. Like it's not the same. It's like on the same level, but it's, she views it as different. So, and the translation is hard work. Yeah, and you think about it, not just, it's a different, um, I mean, it's, you know, Korean is a, is a character language, and so you're not, you're doing 
the cultural history behind that and how different words have different meanings and there's just so many layers and nuances to translation you have a lot of choices of okay do you want it to sound really boring and stilted or do you want the exact language in the exact word or or, you know right right so anyway, I thought it was beautiful. Um, I have a section of it here I want to read to you guys because I just underlined the crap out of this book. <laughs> so uh, this section is probably um, at the section I think encapsulates the book. Looking at that boy's life, Jinzu said, what is the thing that we call a soul? Just some non-existent idea or something that might as well not exist? Or no, is it like some kind of glass? Glass is transparent, right? and fragile. That's the fundamental nature of glass. And that's why objects that are made of glass have to be handled with care. After all, if they end up smashed or cracked or chipped, then they're good for nothing, right? You just have to chuck them away. Before, we used to have a kind of glass that couldn't be broken. A truth so hard and clear, it might as well have been made of glass. So when you think about it, it was only when we were shattered that we proved that we had souls. That what we really were was humans made of glass. So ridiculously beautiful yes and it's not just beautiful language to be beautiful she actually makes probably the you know if you want to go old school like the thematic point of that novel um is about whether or not we have souls and the fact that their souls were broken proves that they had one and it i i was sending autumn like voice voice clips of all these quotes (laughs) Oh, I forgot that. <laughs> so as I was reading it, I was like gushing to her, like texting her and sending her like, like I was reading out quotes and things and was like, oh my goodness. So I really love this uh, novel to pieces and it's probably going to be in my top of the year. So go and read that likewise. And that is um, Human Acts by Hong Kang and that's out from Hogarth. So my first pick is Memoirs of a Polar Bear by Yoko Tawada, and it is translated by Susan Bernofsky, and it is published by New Directions, which is actually an independent press. And I heard about this book, I don't know, sometime last year, I feel like, and I was immediately intrigued, and just because it was, was so bizarre. It is, as the title clearly states, a memoir written by three different polar bears. So it's in three parts. The first part is by an unnamed grandmother polar bear who's the matriarch. And she was a circus performer who was retired and then became a animal rights activist. The polar bear did? Yes. Oh, okay. Well then. (laughs) And so it goes into detail about her being at these meetings with all these international dignitaries and like the food she eats and all this it's crazy and so then um once her and so then she ends up writing a memoir and it's written in a serialized form and it's stolen from her and lots of things happen but she becomes very popular because of her memoirs um, because she was a famous performer and now for people to like get the behind the scenes look about what it was like they're just fascinated in the next section is about her daughter named Tosca and Tosca too is a circus performer unlike her mother Tosca can't write so her mother who doesn't have a name as I said she can write like 
she uses pencils and pens and the whole nine yards. But Tosca can't. Tosca's story is told from through Barbara, who's her caretaker. And so most of that story is actually about Barbara and Barbara's relationship to Tosca. And then the third part is about um, Canute. And he is the he was a twin um, and he was born at a zoo. So he's always been in captivity. And so he can't write or vocal. He's not nearly as vocalized or as refined as his grandmother. And so it's this really interesting book because the way she talks about these polar bears, you kind of forget that they're animals and you start to think of them as humans. Sounds like it's like the dehumanization of a captured people or something. Yes. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, like, part of it's set in Russia and part of it's set in Germany and part of it's set in Canada at different times during different phases. And so there is, like, that kind of talk, too, about borders and immigrants and refugees and, like, those kinds of things. But then also, since the polar bears are more human, when she starts talking about these, like, ecological topics and these things about the environment, it makes them that much more compelling. Because you see it from the human slash polar bear point of view. And sometimes, especially in the first section, when the matriarch of the family is writing her side of the story, and since she is an animal rights activist, it's a very kind of explicit sort of critique about how humans treat animals and how they treat the environment. But as it goes on, it becomes less and less and less that way. So it kind of asks some questions about, like, you know, the humanity of animals and then you know, there are times when the humans act more like animals than the animals do, what we would typically label as an animal. So, and oh, in the very end, like in the very last section, there's a character named Michael, who is a child pop star prodigy. And so she definitely draws some correlations between fame and what fame does to children and how it negatively affects them. Yeah, there's just a lot. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like there's almost as many layers to this as there are generations of polar bears yeah and each section has its own little twist so i was kind of concerned after the first section i was like oh please don't just rehash the same thing in two more sections but she didn't she really didn't it's also interesting to read considering that ringling brothers circus just closed last fall or they're about to close very soon and part of the reason for that was that activists were saying that the animal it was inhumane to treat animals that way so getting this inside look at what it's like to be a performing animal whether in a circus or in a zoo it really you know makes you wonder <laughs> if it's a good thing or not. Yeah, this is a really quirky book. You know, like I said, it was published by an independent press, and which I feel like indie presses publish the most unique stories. Yeah, they definitely are able to take the most chances on different types of stories, which is really cool. They, they really are. And I did love this one. And like each of the sections has a different voice and a different tone. It's translated very well. I realized... I realized after I finished this book, I'm like, oh, this is all the things I like in it. Circuses and Russia and... Oh my goodness. <laughs> I have a type, people. I have a type. Noted. Lots of fun. Definitely worth your time, especially if you're interested in um, different kinds of structures of novels. The three-part, three-perspective view is really cool. Highly recommend it for those reasons. And so that was Memoirs of a Polar Bear by... Yoko Tawada, and it was published by 
New Directions Press. All right, and that brings me to my pick, which is The Nakano Thrift Shop by Hiromi Kawakami, translated by Allison Markham Powell, and that's out from Europa. Uh, This book is set in a suburb of Tokyo, and it was originally published in 2005. So I'm going to guess that it's set in 2005 because the internet isn't quite a thing. Like, it's there. Like, they have things that they sell on the internet, but it's not the thing that it is now, obviously. So this book is about, uh, from the viewpoint of Hitomi, who is... A young, I guess, what, 20-something? Is that what she is? Yeah, early 20s. Yeah, like early 20s, young woman, and she works at this thrift shop where curator there, the head who owns the store, is Mr. Nakano, and he buys things. And so his, the guy who unloads stuff, name his name is Takio, so they all work there. And then Mr. Nakano's sister, uh, Maseo, is also around. She is like a unsuccessful artist who makes dolls but they are just so interesting so you have the four of them and it's basically an episodic type novel of what goes on in thrift shop and at first I really struggled reading this book because I did not understand what was going on you know it was episodic so I didn't see any recurring themes and then so I went on to the internet glorious internet oracle that it is and I realized that All of the characters are searching for different types of intimacy. They're looking for people to connect with, to find connection, and they feel lost. Like all the items in the thrift shop are kind of lost, and they're waiting for new owners to come in. And so there's kind of a parallel there. And then there's these kind of awkward bits where you're not quite sure what's going on. And there's this recurring theme of people having sexual encounters off the page or weird things happening and they aren't they aren't receiving like the intimacy that they want and that's kind of a recurring theme so i found that really fascinating and once i saw it it was like i saw the theme everywhere there's other things going on in this book for for me personally it was like that just made it click yeah the book is strangely emotional and not at the same time which actually makes sense if you think about it and the fact that it's a thrift shop because all these things in a thrift shop once belonged to someone and like they lived in other people's houses right and now they're in a shop but yeah there there is a lot of off the page liaisons let's just put it that way it's not like it's everywhere all the time it's just like you know that this person's having an affair or someone wants to them to sell or keep these photos of this couple and it's sort of like the unfulfillment of these people's sex lives and how that doesn't give them the intimacy that they desire so anyway i could go on about this and we will but that will we'll save that for our next episode but i really found this an interesting slice of life novel and one thing i will say about the quietness of the book is I was talking to Josh about this yesterday, and I said, I feel like books written in the U.S. about, quote-unquote, normal people. Normal in the U.S. ends up being, like, a young kid at a startup or a upper-middle-class kid going to college or, you know, the Devil Wears Prada or something like that, which is not normal experiences, in the way that this book is. Like, I think that this book is like an actual true, like, day in the life kind of a book, which we just don't get here at all. Or at least that I've not experienced. It might, I'm sure that those books do exist, but I haven't found any, or I've not read any. And it reminds me a lot of Elif Batuman's uh, The Idiot. 
because that's definitely like a slice of life type of book where it's um, while she is going to an Ivy League school, it's sort of like just her average like life experience and it's not like she's so special and I guess in the event you know we're reading a lot of chosen one books and saving the world kind of books this is not that and I found it very interesting especially considering that it's set in a different country yeah absolutely very excited to talk about that one next episode so you'll have to stay tuned Uh, but that was the Nakano thrift shop by Hiromi Kawakami that's out from Europa so That's our first three picks, which means it's time for our sponsor spot. And this month, we are our own sponsors. Yes, because we are very excited about our Patreon and doing all the special things. We've already done uh, the newsletter and we've had like video chats with, you know, some of our patrons. And it's been really exciting to get to know more of you. And we love to get to know even more of you. This is just a way for us to connect with our listeners and make our podcast better. We have several different levels where you can contribute. It is as little as a dollar a month. So if you listen to the Reading Women podcast and you love our book recommendations or find what we have to say valuable, then absolutely head over to our Patreon page. And if you have any questions about how it works or anything like that, if you're just not familiar with the format, you know, you can send us an email, send us a direct message tweet at us, anything like that, and we'll be happy to answer your questions about it. And we've already, as Kendra mentioned, gotten to know a lot of you already, and we are just thrilled. And we've already made some changes to the podcast and um, made a few tweaks based off of your recommendations. We're just excited to build this community. So... Yeah, and also, as an added bonus, patrons get to see Fur Baby Friday, in which our multiple mascots are featured (laughs) on a rotating basis. Uh, on on our Patreon page. And that's just the first first level you can get on there and see them. We also do polls of like future merch. You know, you get heads up of future themes and you also get like possible interviews. Like you get to know about those ahead of time or what we're currently editing or, you know, things we don't necessarily want to share with the world. We, you know, we have this nice little group we share with. So lots of insider stuff. So you can find our Patreon link to our Patreon page on our website, which is readingwomenpodcast.com. It'll also be in the show notes. Which brings us to my next pick, which is The Story of My Teeth by Valeria Luiselli. This is another book that's been on my stack for forever and forever and forever. It's true. You've been talking about this for a couple years now. I don't know. Whenever it came out, ever since then, you sent me this link. And I was like, oh, she's talking about that book. I remember. Yes. (laughs) I remember that book. So the book is divided up, not necessarily into chapters, but into books within books, which is a really strange format. And they're very short. And so I was, you know, I'd been wanting to read this book for forever. And then I was like two books in and I was like, what the heck is going on? I don't even know what this is. I would just had this crisis and I was like, no, I'm going to keep reading. It is so good for a lot of reasons. So let me back up. The protagonist is a guy named Gustavo Sanchez Sanchez. Really? Yes. (laughs) And he goes by highway. So he is the self-proclaimed best auctioneer in the world. Learn his life story. He started out as a guard at a juice factory, and then he gets promoted because of a argument that he negotiated. And then he starts like traveling to all these conferences, and then he 
at one of these conferences, he's at like this team building exercise, which is this dance class. And he dances with this girl. And then because of the dance feels obligated to marry her and they have a kid. And then after she has the kid, she leaves him. So you can see why I was very confused at the beginning of this book, because I was I'm I'm already confused. (laughs) I was like, what is going on? So layered on top of that is this whole fixation he has with his teeth. So apparently when he was born, like something weird was wrong with his teeth. And so he's always been self-conscious about it. So he goes to like this class to become an auctioneer. And then he starts collecting teeth. Okay. Like sets of teeth. Because this makes sense for a man who was a guard at the juice factory. (laughs) I know. I know. So he ends up buying, and what starts it off is he buys a set of teeth that allegedly belong to Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> I feel like the author put a bunch of names of random things in a hat and then, like, drew them out and did, like, Mad Lib villains. <laughs> no, maybe. So he becomes an auctioneer, and then, like, he's estranged from his son and then reunited with his son and then estranged from his son again and then... He ends up like writing, having a, he meets a young man who's like in town to become a tour guide and he convinces this young man to help him write the story of his teeth. Okay. So now this is where it gets good. (laughs) So we find out in an epilogue that the narrator is not reliable. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, I get it now. Like this makes so much more sense. So we find on the epilogue that he's not exactly reliable, but we get this quote from the, this kid who's helping him write the book. Highway says that he is a lover and collector of good stories, which is the only honest way of modifying the value of an object. So basically, the reason he becomes the quote-unquote best auctioneer in the world is because of the stories that he tells about them. And a large portion of the book is him telling stories about objects not just objects, but these teeth at this auction. But the thing that I think is really fascinating about this whole project is that this book was actually commissioned. She was commissioned by a art gallery that is on property at a juice factory in Mexico. And so she was commissioned to write this book as part of a project to connect art to this juice factory. Oh my goodness. You can't make this stuff up. No, it's like, it's real. Like, this is this is like the best story ever. And she actually wrote it in installments and sent it to the factory workers and recorded their, their discussion about it and then wrote the next segment after she heard their discussion about the book. Just when you thought it couldn't get any weirder, it does. Yes! And this is just a personal pet peeve of mine, is that it bothers me that creatively structured books by women aren't published very much. Like they're usually pretty, by and large, pretty linear. And like Josh, my spouse is very much into like postmodernism. And so he's always reading all of these really crazy kind of books. And every time he talks about them, I'm like, well, where are the women in this scenario? Where, where are the women? It's my rallying cry. Where are the women? And so this is a book that, that I feel like really fits squarely into that creative structure kind of, I don't know if it's technically postmodern, but it's very like it fits in with that world. And I just loved it. Experimental fiction. (laughs) Yes. It's very experimental and it's very like, there's a 
chronology in the back and like the author's birthday is included in the chronology. (laughs) So it's just like, it is just all kinds of just wacky. And oh, there's photos of the places that she talks about in the back of the book as well before the chronology. It is just a beautiful, delightful, exciting surprise. (laughs) It definitely sounds about it. I have to admit, I've never heard a book like this before. It is so great. And so she's the one who I was saying that she views the English translation of her book as like a different incarnation of her story. So even though she speaks English, she wrote this one in Spanish and then it was translated. So very good. I do recommend it. Um, And it is The Story of My Teeth by Valeria Luiselli, and it is published by Coffee House Press. Okay, so my pick is The Impossible Fairy Tale by Han Yuju, and that is translated by Janet Hong uh, from Korean. And this is out in the U.S. by Grey Wolf Press, but it's out in the U.K. Commonwealth uh, from Tilted Axis Press. And that's important because Deborah Smith, who translates Hong Kang, is started Tilted Axis Press to promote books and for the published books of lesser-known translated works. That is so cool. Like, I went on to Tilted Axis's website... And I found all of their books are designed in such a way that they're numbered. So you can go on and collect all of them with matching covers. Oh, and, no. Oh, my goodness. I even oh own, no. I own, I think it's like four or five, number four or five is The Impossible Fairy Tale. But I would be totally up for having, you know, another copy <laughs> so that it matched. But I will say that the cover of The Impossible Fairy Tale is spectacular. And um, it's a very impressionistic type cover, um, and it has, like, different objects hidden in the cover. Because the entire book is about this girl who writes, and it's kind of like a meta-narrative. It's very—the style is very experimental. And she is talking about the process of writing and the process of creating art. Um, So, for example, the beginning— chapter is about a dog who's stuck in the water and uh, no one is going to save him and he's just floating down the water but the language is so like repetitive so like the last line is the dog is drifting by see the dog drifting by the dog is there the dog is not there so this book is around 200 pages and the plot centers around Mia and a girl just known as The Child. It's set in South Korea and both girls are in what Americans would call the fifth grade. And they have these journals that they write in and they spill their thoughts on. So there's a lot of th- like themes around writing and creating and different things like that. But one night, the child sneaks into the classroom and writes horrible things in all of the journals but tries to imitate their writing of the student whose journal it is and then the teacher finds out and then he gives them like a certain amount of time to confess and no one does and from there uh, violent events happen and it kind of delves into how a single event can start off a lot of other horrible things we really see how horrible children can be to each other but what i think is most fascinating about this book is the writing style it really makes you slow down and think about things It reminds me of like when I was reading James Joyce and you have no idea what's going on, but then you have to kind of, you have to slow down and think about it and think about what's going on. So, Uh. right. So I think if this was originally written in English, it might be that kind of just not stream of consciousness style per se, but that kind of 
I don't know, I always thought of it as like impressionistic, like you're getting snaps rather than a clear view of what's going on, if that makes sense. Yes. And so you just kind of have to like think about what's going on and visualize it in your head. And so um, I am not quite finished with this book, but I am really enjoying how different it is because I also read, you know, Human Acts, which is very lyrical, but it's a totally different book. And I think it's just so interesting to see the wider range of literature from a single country that's translated because I mean I don't really think I can't really think of a country that I've done that before so it's been nice to see that and there aren't really a lot of books translated from Korean into English I can't Um, think of any right which I think is probably one of the reasons that Deborah Smith is really interested um, in that since she originally started translating in Korean so but Pachinko, part of Pachinko set in Korea, isn't it? Well, yeah, it starts in Korea, and then it moves over to Japan. To Japan, yeah. Right, but it's not translated. Yeah, but I think even at that, I think that was the first book that I'd ever read that was set in Korea. Wow, yeah. Albeit briefly. Yeah, so definitely check out Tilted Access Press uh, for this book if you're in the UK. But if you're in the US, you can find The Impossible Fairy Tale by Han Yuju from Grey Wolf Press. Just look for the book with the gorgeous pink cover. My last pick is Things We Lost in the Fire Stories by Mariana Enriquez, and it is translated by Megan McDowell and published by Hogarth Books. So this is our second book by Hogarth Press this episode, and we did not plan that. It just happened. Because apparently they're really cool and publishing great books by translated women. Yeah, and I think what we're discovering is that there aren't a ton of publishing houses publishing books by translated women, so I feel like a lot of these end up being the same presses. Yeah, or at least not a lot of them. So it's like, here, here is our token translated book by a white dude. Yes. Usually. Something like that. (laughs) So this is a short story collection, and the thing, they're all set in South America, in Buenos Aires or some suburb of Buenos Aires. So this collection is, I've seen it described as gothic, but I would actually more of say it's horror, even though it feels gothic, it definitely lends more, leans more towards the grotesque. The thing that I thought was fascinating about this is all, unless I'm missing one, all of the stories have a female point of view character, which is interesting because in short story collections that doesn't often happen. And it kind of unifies what's going on. And it, and one thing Kendra asked when we were talking about this is, are these stories tied together? And they're not, but they feel like they are. I think because of that unified point of view character. Right, and a lot of like dark and strangely slightly magical things happen in them and it was like, oh, is this the same universe where that kind of thing can happen? And it is. I mean, since they're all set in the same kind of town or in the same area, they do feel unified that way too. But so there's a, the stories range, like they have a range of classes, like some of them are by poor women and some of them are by rich uh, by rich women or affluent women like one of the characters is a district attorney um or some equivalent of that all of the stories have themes of like fear and violence so there are a lot of trigger warnings for this book there's a lot of very graphic kind of violence in some of the stories and just overall kind of general ickiness (laughs) ickiness i don't know how else to describe it there's a lot of violence. Like, an example would be, the, you know, this girl's arm is, like, missing. Um, women light themselves on fire. 
there's a ritualistic killing in the you first know. story. There's drownings. Yeah, just lots of violence, um, which, from what I read, is a reflection of some of the political unrest that is in South America and in Argentina in particular, and that there is still, like, missing people from different dictators and stuff that they've had there. She's writing from that point of view and from that experience, and it's really horrific what happens to some of these people. But at the same time, it's, like, very informative because, well, I won't go too much into it because this is one of our discussion books, but South America is you know, the birthplace of magical realism. And so there's ghosts and mystical things that happen and uh, lots of, like, local spirits and legends and stuff. So it's, the culture is fascinating. So that was Things We Lost in the Fire by Mariana Enriquez, translated by Megan McDowell, and it is out by Hogarth. And that's all of our picks. Yes, so we will be talking about what we're currently reading in a second, but um, this we're going to give a shout-out to our blog here because you might not know, but at the end of each month, we give you six books that are on our TBRs that, are, that we recently read or that we really just wanted to recommend but couldn't fit into the podcast. So we do that at the end of each month. So we just did our wrap-up for fictional universes, and then we will be doing our wrap-up for this month's like books and translation so you can see even more books in translation at the end if you didn't have enough books on your tv already that's what we're here for which i guess brings us to kendra what are you reading right now well i almost ditched my entire tbr for the 24 and 48 readathon for this book but i didn't i had i adulted i had self-control uh it is called see what i have done by sarah schmidt and it, on the back, uh, it says, Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41, or did she? And this is a fictionalized account of Lizzie Borden, who supposedly killed her mother and father with an axe. And so I really, really loved The Butcher's Hook, right? And it also has a very unique, we'll just say, protagonist. Yes. And I really love a good villain, and one of those where the protagonist is, like, the psychological, um, I guess, bad guy, maybe, or whatever. Uh, and so I was like, yes, sign me up for this book. Please do. And I read the first few chapters, and I love it to pieces. We're waiting for your full review. So anyway, what are you reading, Autumn? So I'm reading The Gringo Champion by Ara Zillinen, and it is translated by Andrea Rosenberg, and it is out by Europa. And this book is blowing my mind. I love it so much. It is about a boy who is probably about 10, and he comes to the U.S. illegally. He crosses the border on foot. And he gets a job in a bookstore, a Spanish-language bookstore, and then after he gets in a fistfight on the street, he's recruited to be—I don't know how to describe it, but he's—and they don't give me a word for it, but basically he's supposed to be, like, a practice dummy for this prize-fighting boxer. So, like, basically—yeah. So, like, he's just supposed to, like, fight with this boxer in practice to, like, help him get better. But in the first fight that they have, he ends up, like, crippling the guy. 
Oh. That's about as far as I am into it. And the thing that's amazing is that the book, the girl who wrote the book, um, Ara, is very young. I think she was 19 when she started the book or when she, or when she finished it. She's, like, in her early 20s now. But it is it reads like a much more mature book than a 19 year old. I will say that. And it is just, I will say though, there is a ton of language, like a ton of language, but they're all, it's all like really rough kids on the streets and things. So, which is is kind of to be expected, but the story is incredible. The writing is incredible. I am dying to finish it. So she's brilliant, and I'm, I'm loving it. Did I say that already? <laughs> I, I think we might might have gotten that you liked it a little bit. Okay. Okay, good tolerating, to know. Tolerating it, you know. Yeah. So that is The Gringo Champion um, by Ara Zillinen, out by Europa. Quite good. Yes, that is it. And uh, thank you, all of you who have reviewed us on uh the, what we're supposed to call it now, Apple Podcasts, I think is what we're supposed to call it now. So thank you for those who reviewed us there or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. Um, definitely also you want to check out our newsletter. It has uh, updates. It has like author interviews and also our new book selections and reviews, pictures of our fur children. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon. So yes, thanks to all our patrons for supporting us. We greatly appreciate it. You definitely help make this happen. And that's everything. So join us next time when we will be talking about things we lost in the fire and the Nakano thrift shop. And in the meantime, you can find me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter and Instagram and Litzy at Autumn Privet. And you can find Kendra at KDD as in Dylan Winchester on all the places, too. We're also both on Goodreads and you can find us there. Um, And thank you all so much for listening to the Reading Women podcast. We are so thrilled by your support, and we just thank you for making this possible, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye, guys. Bye.